This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. We are missing Kara today. She is actually at a super important RBDA meeting here in Alberta. So we're looking forward to having her back next week. We're also waiting on Scott to join us. Hopefully, he'll be joining us as a special guest here to talk about his Jellystone Park and some of the other cool things that he is doing. But as always, this is our third week of the month. We're regularly talking about things that matter to campgrounders and stuff like that. So we've got Joe Dumeg on from that my community. Talks to a ton of campground owners over the course of the weeks and months. And so has a lot of valuable input to offer us, as well as Duncan Winship from Caprice Pond Campground. Just talking about some of the things that have come across his desk in the last month or so. And then we've got Mike Harrison from CRR Lifestyle as well, who owns a couple properties, Arizona, California, soon to be the East Coast as well. All kinds of dominance happening at CRR. Uh, so super excited to have him with us as well. So gentlemen, uh, why don't we start with Kyle, because he's a special guest here. Kyle, for those of you who don't know, including me, because I'm cheating and checking my notes right now because I talk to too many people. Kyle is the co-owner of Black Rock Adventure Park and Campground. He is a first time. He's going to talk to us about how his season's going a little bit and then that's climbing place, I think. So Kyle, do you want to just introduce yourself? Tell us something about Black Rock Adventure Park and we'll start from there. Of course. Appreciate everybody having a fun too. We just bought this park in February of 2022. and uh, of course, like you said, the campground, um, we have 223 acres here and our venue type campground. So we have an off-road riding park and a concert venue. And we're just amping up for next season as far as concert series go. And then we have 96 full season now, and we're going to expand to 500 to 600 sites and we're all a bunch more amenities so we're looking up here in northeast Ohio, up near the sports of lake erie quite the area for people to come and visit and we're near here. yeah it's been exciting melissa my fiance i'm in all this she's really busy as well oh but uh, so far and boy there's just a lot to do that's for awesome well, thanks for being here your audio is just a little bit choppy i don't know if it's me but uh, maybe try moving a little bit closer to your mic. I don't know. If it's, it might just be the platform because you, you were having some issues getting in this morning. Everybody said they had to use the backup link. So it never fails that we have some kind of technical difficulties, mostly on my end. But once in a while, I like to screw in the lower. So, gentlemen, what else is going on across on your desk today? Mike, Duncan, Joe, anything that's super important that you feel that needs to be brought up and raised awareness of? I was curious with, with Kyle, how is, how the build out's going You're moving from 96 to 600 sites, what your timeline looks like for that, how far out that build is and, and any real, what are your big trouble spots that, that you're going through right now? We are on a, like a 10 year plan and if we can amp it up to a seven year build. This year has just been, we raised our rates and, and not all of the facilities. What if, is my audio better now? 
a little bit, I think. It's still a tiny bit choppy, but it's better, I think. All right, maybe I'll speak slower. It's a golf course, 18-hole golf course when we bought it, which was closed. Property has been very neglected. And the campsites that were here were more of a private. So, so <clears throat> we had to come in and raise the rates to where there's a local area, clean out some of the old campsites. So we've been really this year. Next year, we plan to add 50 to 100 more old playground. Right now, we just built a swimming pond, which is in the process of being lanes and water slides going into it. And then, of course, the concert area. It's a beautiful area here. And so the weather is very modest and, and amazing. And the local municipalities are just as a bus with the build-out. So we don't have much tape to run through. And great experience. I mean, my background is excavating. So I owned my own excavating business. So all of your roadways and main utility site development, IT is on the dollar. So we've got a pretty good thing going. And of course, Melissa management for 20 plus years at a major Chrysler dealership. So she stands employees and P&R and you know, the PRs and marketing. So we make a really great team. Awesome. You bring up an interesting question because you're talking about some unique amenities and there are campgrounds obviously that have them and focus on things like concerts and stuff like that. And I know Mike has some experience with this. I'm curious, maybe, and I don't know, maybe we have talked about this briefly on the show before. I can't remember if we have or not. And Joe, I'm sure you can lend in some of your expertise and Duncan as well. How do you decide, and we're going through economic changes and maybe the cash isn't flowing as freely as it was before. How do you decide what amenities to focus on at your park, not just from a new build opening standpoint, but what do I renovate first? What do I change? Obviously there are surveys and guests and things like that, but is it guest satisfaction? Is it what makes me the most money? Is it what is in the most state of disrepair because I just bought this park and it's terrible. How do you decide those kinds of things as an owner? I think what we did is we really just, before we purchased this to make sure that we had enough money to fix all those there. Sounds crazy, but no, it's really like we're focusing and on the remodel, also trying to add more of our amenities that will attract a, a bit. We went from zero followers on Facebook to, to over 4,000. So our gross, we were reaching 65,000 Facebook reach for our opening. And then we opened with our first concert. We went to 118,000. So we almost doubled the amount of traffic we were getting. Well, and so... Well, I think it's selling itself. Real grounds that do a concert here or there, or there are concert venues within an hour and a half. And of course, there's campgrounds, but we're the only one within 900 miles, the off-road park, the RV resort, and the and we're going to amp up rather than just do one or two a year, we're going to be doing 10 or 12 a full-fledged concert venue top of everything. So the money into that build out for all avenues and gas prices and inflation. Don't get me wrong. I feel that it could be a lot busier in a different market. So weather that storm and take advantage of our growth as we are cash from the word go. If we were three years into this and we had already funny and then and the economy hits us with this high gas price, prices and everybody's starting to slow. I think 
we would probably be in a different boat and sweating it quite a bit. A return was coming in already and it's not. So in that we're not expecting our return for another, I think we're sitting in a really driver's seat and coming out of COVID building something like has really excelled our growth and all concerts in this. And so we're taking advantage to that area as well. So Ryan, yeah, uh, go ahead. I'm going to talk to you. going to ask Kyle, do you want to try to refresh? Because you're a little bit out of sync. Just try to refresh and jump back uh, in. Maybe use the. How do I refresh? Let me see here. Just Hit refresh this. your whole round again. Yep. And then, Joe, I'm uh, sorry, I didn't interrupt you. We were gonna say no, and I don't know if, if you heard Duncan and I speaking right before this. It worked out perfectly. I didn't even think about Kyle being on that has a concert venue, but I'm going camping this weekend at the camp at Lake Wapapello in Missouri. My friends are going because they have live music every weekend. And actually this weekend, they have eight bands over the whole weekend. And so they'll have a full campground there. And it's, that's the reason, that's the reason that then we picked that campground to go to. I think everybody has a different reason for what they're doing in this particular campground. I don't think they're actually putting on the, they have the venue. I don't, I don't know if they charge for the venue space, but there's a, another organization putting on like a, it's like a charity music festival. Now it's not a huge thing, but for, for those surrounding counties. Huh? Yeah, obviously it's a draw. It brought you yeah. in, it brought oh, other sure. people in. So whether it's yeah, and not or, you know, here's an interesting thing from my perspective. If you look at a concert and this applies to different areas of amenities too, but how much are you going for the music or the specific band? Like I, we see a lot of these campgrounds that offer concerts where somebody will come in as an artist and play on Friday or Saturday night. But half the time I haven't <laughs> heard of, maybe that's just because I'm not cool, but assuming that the artist is smaller, bigger, whatever else, how much do you think? marketing effort is involved from a campground or an artist standpoint and does that impact your ability to come or is it just the style of music or you just want something different or i would imagine it's a mix so the same campground actually last weekend or i don't know a couple weeks ago they had their local in st louis but they were national artists at one point in time in the campground and artists that people know of but uh, so i would imagine that's quite a draw for them for us we're not so we're going there because of this concert for this particular time but if we go to a campground and they're playing live music, we're most likely going to attend that event. That's a much higher likelihood of us attending than most other activities, even with the little kids. I mean, we have six, six children and they're 10 and under. So all the activities, we try to attend a lot of them, but there's live music. That means the parents and the kids get to enjoy it. And so we will definitely be attending. Now, it increases the amount of fun we had while we were there. I don't necessarily know if... We use that to pick, but if we're looking at their marketing, we see that they're going to have live music one day. We're probably definitely more inclined to, to go to that, that location. It's different too, right? Like you talk about the variety of activities, the more likely you are to attend certain things, obviously it depends on you and every camper is different and do you have kids like to do and all that kind of stuff. But it does bring up an interesting point in that music or concerts in general, unless you're having the same person sing every single time, it's different. Whether it's a different genre or a different lyrics or a different style or a different person. And so it gives a reason to come back if you're a seasonal or maybe a camper wants to come this weekend, but not the other. Whereas, and I'm not picking on any activities, just naming things like the mini golf course is always the same. Tie-dye is always the same, except. Yep. For sure. As, as far as we go, we're also, we have a, a that we just scheduled and actually just released it today on our social media. It's September 24th. And we have some big sponsors that are helping put this on. And so 
the Jeep out to the road park, right? Camping's going to pick up. But as far as 100%, right, it's all about who you have as an artist. We had our days of concerts, and it was really the head that actually brought the crowd in. So as a cost-effective, as a business owner, you have to look at that. Like, what is we research, find out exactly what people let each one of these concerts these bands bring in and that's what we have to base that's what we base our model on and that's all is basically okay how many people do we expect and the bigger the band of course higher the price is too it i feel like not a campground we're more of an entertainment venue is really our business model that's tied to it like our seasonal sites and our campground is going to keep the electricity on and pay our our bills, venues, and the off-road park is where we're growing. So that's where our market is. We're mar- marketing as a adventure venue with camp. At that instance. So I have in Duncan and Mike, you're both being really quiet this week, which is unusual. But I'm going to prompt both of you with two of the same but different questions. So Duncan, you obviously have an established campground that's done very well. Is there a point in time where you sit still and say that this is good enough? Or do you continue to innovate with some of these amenities and attractions? And how do you do that then and decide that? And then whoever wants to go first or second, but Mike, the same question to you, but from a development standpoint, when you've got a blank slate to start with, how do you decide? Because I know me, if I was developing a campground, I would want to put everything in all the places and I would spend all the money. And obviously that's not feasible, nor does it make business sense to do that. So how do you decide what goes in which park and how do you inform that decision? <clears throat> Sure. I'm happy to answer that. I think for a stabilized property, the minute that you say we're happy enough is the minute you go backwards. Cannot imagine anybody would take that approach, but I'm sure there are some. So we're always looking to try new things or innovate and some things are successful. Some aren't, whether it's a paint and sip or whether it's an off-road adventure tour or we're doing, trying a murder mystery dinner event. And so we're always trying to try something unique and different at our stabilized parks. For the development, there's several different approaches and a lot of it depends on many different factors, right? What is your initial loan? What's your initial build out? The construction costs or finance change? Are you going to build it in phases? And that really depends on, I think, the owner profile. And so for us, we'll typically design a park, I would say 80% of what we want and then open, see how it does stabilize and then build maybe a second phase in addition to, but it isn't always that way. But at Coachella, for example, we are going to open with our PGA level putting course. We will have our amphitheater and many of the things that we're talking about, but for example, we have a phase two of the amphitheater, which would be a significant enhancement with concerts, entertainment, food and beverage that we aren't building in phase one. So yes, Brian, it'd be great. I'd love to open with everything, but if you got another $10 million, then please hand that over to me. Obviously money is not infinite. So it really depends on what your build proposal is, your partnership, what level of park you're doing and how sure you are that it's a home run out of the gate versus what you want to do on phases, I think. So I don't think there's a one size fits all answer for that. Yeah, I don't think there is either. I'm just curious what your perspective is. And then the flip side to Duncan, who's got an established campground that he's owned for a long time. Yeah, and an established park, it really fills like three different buckets. You have your expansion bucket, you have your maintenance and refresh bucket, and then you have your innovation bucket. The first one, you know, expansion, mass capital improvements, you want to put in 600 additional sites, that kind of thing that you have to get really 
do your homework and do your due diligence with that kind of beast. Innovation type bucket, it doesn't have to be something really big. It can be the small like paint and sips that Mike talked about. It can be trying glow in the dark tie-dye shirts instead of your classic black. You can just, there's always little steps and pushes, changes that you can try that could catch fire and really surprise or they can be a complete dud. And then the last bucket, having an older part, definitely always have to plan some kind of large maintenance program just to keep everything up to the standard level that you expect. So how do these buckets interplay with each other as an owner? So let's say you have an unexpected maintenance item. Do you pull from another bucket? Does that impact your... Yeah, well, it depends on where your cash flow is coming from. Are you financing some of these projects? Are you self-financing? Is it coming out of your yearly cash flow and what your initial profits for that season are going to be looking like? It just, there's a lot of interplay between each one that you have to make decisions on depending on how big of an expense it is how much it impacts the whole park or a section of the park. And sometimes you just have to bite the bullet on it. All right. Before we get too far, oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I didn't, I couldn't hear you. No, I was saying also do you fund a CapEx reserve? So to, to Duncan's part, is it a nice to have? Is it a need to have? And your financial conditions will determine what that answer is. In the last two years, the nice to haves all seem like need to haves, but as we hit a slowdown, the nice to haves certainly start to change into, do you need to have it? And we're assessing that we're very healthy. We're doing very well. We continue to beat last year's numbers, but we've taken a little bit of a, let's just look, right? We've got plenty of cash. We've got money in cash flow and CapEx reserve, but it doesn't mean we have to spend it. So I think perspective and outlook just changes in that regard. I'm curious, and, yeah. and I do have to, before I forget, cause I always forget to talk about our sponsor and I'm so sorry, uh, but this episode is sponsored by Firefly Reservations. Uh, a reservation software company, and we just want to play a brief video for them. And then I want to talk about some of the differences between types of amenities, because I think this is a, a curious conversation. We read that. Did you know most campers prefer to reserve online? Are you missing reservations? Firefly makes it easy to run your campground and accept reservations online anytime. With Firefly, you can quickly message campers, simply handle ongoing reservations, and automate emails and payment processing giving you back time to run your campground. You can start your free trial today. No credit card needed. Visit fireflyreservations.com to learn more. All right, we're back. Super excited again. Thank you so much for Firefly Reservations for supporting MC Fireside Chats, our show, and our ability to have these awesome conversations. So my question that I had then was tied to the specific type of amenities. And maybe this is a hard money versus soft money type question, but as far as the difference between amenities that you know for sure will make you money, maybe an ice cream social where you're selling ice cream or a tie-dye where you're selling the t-shirts or an activity where you're selling ceramics or whatever, versus maybe an upgrade on a site where you're putting nicer chairs that could maybe end up in you charging more for that site, but maybe it's just a an increase in perception or value that the guest is getting that then makes them have a happier experience and they recommend it more. Is there a difference when you're planning those types of things or thinking out those thought processes? Yeah, I would definitely say that there is. And what you're really talking about is your main revenue driver, at least for us in our part, is heads and beds. People occupying the sites and having occupancy in the art. Some of the other items that you talked about, like I ice cream socials, tie-dye, charging for laser tag or mini golf or any of those things. All those ancillary revenue drivers are driven by head in beds. 
So you have to either have the space for people to be there. You have to have the sites that people are going to want and have at least the basic infrastructure for them to be happy with their accommodation first. And then you can worry about either the ancillaries or your big flagships that will make, that will differentiate you from the rest of the pack. It's a good perspective, Duncan, because we just actually had this discussion about a month and a half ago or so, because we are, I know most places are in their peak season. Us in Arizona, we're, this is miserable, right? It's 112 degrees. And so as our occupancy slows down and the concerns about gas prices, we had to look at, okay, if we're not driving occupancy, what are the additional revenue and ancillary services are there? And we literally just went through this exercise and have a page and page full of all these different ideas that we come up with. And yeah, tie-dye, you ain't getting rich off tie-dye. It's a nice a little ancillary revenue, but we went through several. We reassessed our what we're charging for electric and we decided to increase our seasonal summer season electric charge. And that one small change is probably going to net us $60,000. That's the hundred percent pure profit margin. We changed slightly our booking fee. Camp spot, our friends there are very easy to work with and that system's pretty functional and interactive. And that one change is going to net us probably another 40 grand. A lot of these changes were dictated by change of mix Our short-term transient changed and our seasonals increased, which is great. But of course that means more occupancy, uh, less we had to put that a little bit on its head. So yes, I completely agree. Heads and beds all the time is going to be primary occupancy, but the revenue enhancements is what we had to look at to try and protect ourselves in case. Now. We've been lucky that our revenues have still been strong, stronger than we anticipated, but we did need to, we're warriors. So we wanted to have some contingency in place just in, in case it dropped. But I am curious too, when you talk about diversification and protecting yourself and having different revenue streams based on what changes and what adapts and stuff like that. I think we could take this and maybe Mike, I know you can comment on this and maybe Joe, if you run across a few things and obviously Kyle and Duncan, if you want to jump in at any point, but I think. We've seen, and at least maybe it's just my appearance or the things that have come across my desk in the last couple of months. We've seen some of these campground owners and both small and large, more willing to diversify into things that are outside of the traditional outdoor hospitality norm. And Mike, in your example, you have a car wash now, right? And you're in the, maybe in the process of looking at hotels and other things like that and storage facilities. And I know I've had. I had a client, a larger group come and across our desk that just bought a couple auto care places. And we've talked to uh, Randy Hendrickson. I give him credit for this, the word experiential hospitality. I don't know if he invented it, but he's playing in these, in the hotels who are getting involved in the glamping space and marinas that are tied to RV parks. And it seems to on a, kind of all be blending together. And so my question here, is there a point where you also diversify and look at ways to protect your revenue stream outside of just an amenity on your park? Or is that things that disconnect? Hey, outside of just an amenity, what do you mean by that? Like uh, your car wash, for example, it's not on a campground, so it's not intended to just be used by the people who are staying there. So I wouldn't consider it an amenity, but that's something you also could do. There's lots of campgrounds that not lots of yeah. RV washes. So I think, yeah. And first there's a, a question from, from Mary about just asking if I could expand on the electric billing and sure I can see Mike Sorensen's on the call. So I'm sorry if I'm about to talk against metering, but our general approach, we've done a lot, a lot of research and I know every park, everybody says meteor sites and we've generally gone away from them mostly because a, we don't feel like metering B, we were working on the integration at one point and see the labor to bill and to track and all those are the things that went behind it. So we did a lot of studies and research on how much each rig type 
was charging, I'm sorry, uh, generating power usage. And we came up with more of a flat fee that we charge for our monthlies. It is very easy and grant and the guests love it. They, they now granted is a motor coach with three units, probably use a little bit more than we're charging maybe, but it is a 14 footer, maybe not using as much for sure, but it has been very successful for us in that style. We like not having the burden or the hassle of doing all the meter readings, but in general, the answer to that question was, we thought there was an opportunity in our peak season when usage is definitely higher because I'm sure everybody saw our degree days in July were six for us in Arizona were six degrees higher than they were last year. So our electric bill is considerably higher and the summers have generally weather patterns have been higher in degree days anyway, almost every year for the last five years. So we decided to increase our peak demand to a higher rate than our kind of standard flat. So it's just a pivoting on what our general strategy was in that regard. I hope that answers your question, Mary. Happy to answer more. Feel free to DM me if you'd like more info. I want to talk through it. As far as the other amenities, I think, Brian, it's a good question. We approach the business kind of collectively, but holistically independent. I know that sounds a little bit dichotomous and it doesn't make any sense. For in Camp Verde, we've got at least four different business types. We have a car wash, we have a whole set of commercial properties, we have a manufactured home neighborhood, we have RV storage, we have the resort, and we have self-storage. All in the same town, if you will. The MH is completely different than the RV, but we have to look at them collectively because there's a lot of synergies and business demands. We, I can't tell how many times we've fed the neighborhood through people who are staying with us at the resort. Yeah. At the same time, we look at businesses completely independently. RV storage is an example, even though it's still in the RV world and we do have some temporary storage at the RV resort, we approach the business from a macro level in the same way about determining what is the economy going to do to us? What are our action steps really depends on the business because not all businesses are the same. Not all industries are the same. We still approach all of our businesses with the same operations philosophy. Our why do we exist is service to all that we serve, whether it's our associates, guests, community, or owners. So we still apply our operations philosophy to all the businesses, but we evaluate them independently. I don't know if that was your question. And boy, did that sound super philosophical and it was not intended to. It's kind of what I intended to try to get at. And maybe I needed to clarify my question a little bit more, but. I'm not necessarily trying to switch the discussion into, you should open a car wash or you should open a car repair store. But some of these things that you might consider an amenity, and maybe it's on your campground, maybe it's not, maybe it's just down the street, like you're talking about the same town and they all tie together, but like a marina, for example, that could be a play on bringing a different type of guest or bringing more of a certain demographic of guest into your park. But it could also be a play on, you can just use the marina and you don't have to be camping. But then you have that exposure and then that's indirect marketing. Talk to your friends and family who do. And so that's what I'm trying to get at. Do those things really to serve dual purposes? Kind of like an off-road adventure park or a concert venue, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot to be heads in bed is a great, that's key. I guess our vision is that we build up. We just, we have... It wasn't being used. And so we're like, how do we capitalize on what we have? And so we have, and it does not take much for me to go out there with a D5 dozer and cut some trails in and people just can come out and have fun with their feet. But our philosophy is bodies on property. So to be able to get them there, because we sell daily ride passes, our off-road park is open to the public. Our concerts are open in tight people to come to our park and then they see the campground and the other amenities and be part of a family atmosphere. So those extra uh, revenue sources 
Disney parks actually fill our campground. And so it, it, it puts the beds in heads. No, and you're right. And I think that's Joe, to your point, like it does sound silly that I'm saying the same thing that you were already talking about, but what I'm really talking about is do you open that to the public to have the additional source of revenue if you bring in a concert? And obviously if it's a huge amphitheater, of course you are, but if it's a smaller stage, do you welcome the public in? Do you let, as basically an example is a swimming pool. Do you allow people to come in and swim for half a day or a day for five or $10 if they're not camping? So how do you approach that from a diversification was my original question. I, I think, think it's a, it, Oh, go ahead, Duncan. It's two different things that you're talking about. One, you're talking about adding something to the park that's not historically associated with the outdoor hospitality industry. Yeah. And two, using your amenities in a non-traditional function are really the two different items we're talking about here. One, you're talking about if you have a big water feature and that kind of thing and opening it to the public. Now you're turning more into maybe a water park or theme park or family entertainment center that happens to have housing and amenities in it versus being the amenities. And then that's what your guests use to provide the family entertainment second. And then the idea of a car wash or self-storage or even something crazy like a movie theater, or I'm just trying to fit my life. You can play one off of the yeah. other. And so there, is there a point in an owner's head where that mindset from a, I'm a campground plus to I'm a something else plus shifts. Is there a point where they meet in the middle and you can be both in harmony? That's what I'm... I think it's more just your own individual mentality around it. I think it doesn't, they're, they're the same thing with the same coin. Just which way do you prefer to identify as? Do you prefer to identify as a concert venue that provides camping versus a camping establishment that happens to have a concert venue they're the same thing it just depends on which way you want to market it which means you could probably market it both ways and try to reach both sides which is right where i was ended up when i was going to end up because you need to make that decision for yourself and that there's no right or wrong way to do it but then that clearly like you're saying impacts your market yeah those have been around for a while so you have you have places that you wouldn't think of as naturally RV parts. If you think of a speedway or something like that, when we go into certain areas and we're traveling and we're looking for a nice RV park to stay, sometimes that's the one that, that's the one that everyone recommends is actually a motor speedway because they know they identify as motor speedway to, to the back masses, but they have a 300, 500 side RV park that's sitting there the rest of the time same with the fairgrounds and so those things definitely exist and have for a long time and to your point seeing one go the opposite direction if you look at like hilton head national it was a golf course that had 20, 27 holes and they needed to shake things up a little bit so take nine of them carve them off turn them into a luxury rv park and know what are you what's the biggest draw now is it the golf course or is it the the luxury rv resort but i think go ahead sorry. Sorry. I, I do oh. think there's danger in that, are we this or are we that? Oh, we could be both. The we can be both can get very nebulous, right? And if you go away from what your core purpose is, if you're trying to be all things to all people, that can A, degrade your marketing, it can degrade your message, it can degrade your operational integrity. And I've seen that happen. We had, in a previous life, I used to manage hotels with 60,000 square foot water park facilities. I don't know that I ever want to go back to that previous life. And we had that, that, are we a water park with a hotel or are we a hotel with a water park? 
And it was very tough and challenging to do that. So I think that's, I think just needs to be some caution in how you approach what is your primary core purpose? If your primary driver is your camping that happens to have amazing amenities, then your amenities drive your camping experience and your revenue. If your primary purpose is you've got an incredible attraction entertainment facility that happens to have camping, but it's hard to be both. I think doesn't mean you can't try, but I would just your personal experience caution. Yeah, the, the operational headaches that, that come out of too much diversification and right. can definitely cause a lot of challenges. It can cause a lot of upper management headaches. It can come, especially with staffing issues, continuing to be a challenge for a lot of us, myself included. Anything that you add that requires people to help run it can definitely cause guess, dissatisfaction moments and continue to make it a challenge. So there's a lot to be said about keeping it simple, the KISS method, that kind of thing that really can help you focus and sharpen your knife to, to really a point where you know what you're doing, how it's going to go, and you are an expert at that particular thing versus being okay at a bunch of things. I think it's a very useful conversation, right? What we've learned is you guys are really smart. And I, if I just ask a couple of terrible questions in a row that make no sense, you guys will fill in the blanks and we'll actually end up simple. Go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Oh, no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And we've been pretty blessed. We have a concert. He's the director of the concert and entertainment part. We have a director of security. And then Melissa and I basically, we have managed and run the campground side. I totally agree with upper management. We work a lot of hours. Yeah, we do, but it's, it's just what drives us. So we've been fortunate and I think we've just built where we need to, but I totally agree with you guys that if that wasn't the need, needing to pick one side of the coin or the other, and so far diversified pretty well, Hey, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring either. We try to prepare for that as, as best. And I will say, as we continue this conversation, if you are watching on Facebook, it only works on pages for some reason, not groups, but if you're watching on a Facebook page or on LinkedIn, we do have this chat here that we can show up, which apparently doesn't display old comments, thwarted my whole little showing off attempt there. But Mike and Duncan, if you want to put those comments in, I think you have a public chat there that'll post all of it. Not, not sure how to do that. Neither am I, because I've never, it just shows up on my right hand side. Me too. Like I'm not, I think if you. I think if you click the little arrow, it says restream, and then you can change it to the channel that you want to post to. I don't know if there's an all channel or not for me. Anyway, Peggy has a comment here. She says, I'm currently staying in an RV park that has one full-time office manager, one part-time and two maintenance workers. The office is closed a lot because there's no one to run it. So it's a good, maybe, I don't know, we'll switch topics yet, or we needed to finish some conversations, but we talked about staffing for a minute, if you guys are interested in that, because obviously that's a struggle that we, that everybody seems to be having, or do we want to make that change or we want to continue where we're at? You guys are the boss. I can always talk about staffing. We employ a fairly large staff compared to a fair amount of the parks out there. We have about 60 summertime employees, half of our housekeeping staff, because we just have so many cabins here at the park. We have a Activities program, a store, you have a restaurant, you have your office, you have overnight security, all that kind of stuff. You have to sometimes be creative in how different departments can support each other and how they can cross-train individuals. And sometimes one person can answer a reservation question while helping in the restaurant or helping in 
the store or even in different activities, programs, stuff like that. So if you're really having staffing issues, all you can do to cross train and educate employees you have about your business across the board, it, it will help alleviate some of it. That doesn't mean that it's a foolproof answer, but at least gives the guest some form of answer that will either allow it to bubble up to someone else who could fix it, or at least give them an idea of when they'd be able to have either their questions answered or reservations handled or something like that. It's definitely a challenge, and I don't see it abating anytime soon. Yeah, it's a tough, and obviously I don't know from perspective because I've never owned a campground, but it's a tough thing. And we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of staffing now, but let's just talk about this specific example for a second. The office is closed a lot because there's no one to run it. How do you decide, and Mike, this coming from hotels that are, have somebody at the desk usually 24-7, right? How do you decide whether or not you have this issue with staff or you don't? What are my store hours? Do I stay open later? Do I, it, is it based on location? Is it based on the type of demographic I have? Is it based on weekend versus weekdays? How do I decide those things? And then in combination with the staff on top of that. The answer to what you just asked is yes. It's all those things. I think in this particular example, it's tough to know. Is it closed because they can't find anyone? Is it closed because the owner is trying to make money and doesn't want to staff long hours? Is it, there could be multiple different fact of the why. We were just talking to a candidate who has a family run campground and it's her and her daughter and two other people. It's like 180 sites and they're thinking, how is that possible? But they're making it work. Their scores are great. They're working seven days a week, which probably isn't great. So there are a lot of factors that go into that question that's hard for us to answer, but. How do we determine what are the right hours? I think your guests will demand, will help you mandate what the answer to that question is. I think your facility will help mandate what that question is. Our operating hours in Coachella are going to be very different than they are in Amberde. We've got more facilities, more entertainment, more food and beverage. There's more of a need for the office slash store to be open. So I think a lot of that depends on what your park offerings are. And a lot of that depends on what your guest states. Now, there's also always other ways to facilitate the there's no one in the office question. Do you have an FAQ on your website? Do you have online check-in available? Do you have an emergency phone or some kind of communication that a guest can contact? Do you have Facebook chat? Do you have email information? So there's ways to offset some of those other challenges that you could still provide support and resources and other circumstances. So does that traditional calculation where you're in the history of the last 40 years, it's the same <laughs> determining the ROI of when your campers got, like you're talking about, and then determining the staff of the hours, but does that change as technology adapts? Joe's got his app that offers check-in and check-out features, right, Joe? Does it do that? I don't even know. But you're kind of, it's not going to talk to the PMS system because most of them don't have integration points, but yeah, you can do something like that. As technology improves, people have apps like what Joe offers. People have new features through their PMS. As people have all the things you're talking about, frequently asked questions as we do. There's a lady here in, in Golden, Colorado, who does a quickie kiosk that, that checks people in. As things like that change, does the calculation of the benefits change? In other words, is it a lower bar for you to add some of these things because it doesn't require that human being staffing it? And then do you look at, I don't know where I'm really going with it, but Duncan, you're smart. Take it away. <laughs> uh, I think that yeah, has a lot. I think it really talks to, like, you listen to some people talk about your self checkout lines in or your local grocery store or something like that. A lot, some people really love, them and they think that it's the best thing ever. They can do it on their time, their speed, and they're in and out and that kind of thing. They don't have to interact with anybody. There's also other people who absolutely loathe them. So I think that it will definitely have its place. 
It'll definitely have some functionality to it. Does it ever truly replace a human touch and the guest relations portion of it? I would be really surprised. I will think never because you know, artificial intelligence will eventually come into this space and be able to answer questions and solve problems that I don't think we even realize yet. But it, I still don't think it just will have that human touch. Even if it's a human failure, it's still someone saying that they are there and to talk to someone really there. I think food and beverage, I think there's a lot of interesting things coming out of that space that you could definitely see some replacements in, but like direct front office level, I think it's a little far out at this point in time. I would have you uh, certainly with complete replacement, but again, supplements, like I think we're just talking about little baby steps as we move forward. I don't know. I, I saw Westworld. Is that a thing? Yet? I feel like that might be a thing. <laughs> that would be really interesting if Westworld had a campground though. But anyway, for us, like for the apps that we produce, we don't have the necessarily the expectation that it's going to replace an employee, but it is going to hopefully help alleviate burdens from employees. Their product. People stopping you on the middle of the way while you're going from one spot to the other to tell you about something that's broken when they could have just sent that in as a request or batching certain requests that you have come in rather than getting them straight at the front desk while you're trying to check other people in or, or whatever you're trying to do. It's mainly just to not burden your staff is one of the biggest things and streamline. And I think there, like for us, there is a possibility to maybe alleviate enough on a larger, on a very large park with a large amount of staff, there might be enough to alleviate a staff number, but the goal is to make sure that they don't have, they just get burned out and they're not frazzled all day long. And to provide choice, right? Cause again, we're talking about like Duncan said. There are some people who like the self-checkout. There are some people who don't like the self-checkout, will never use it. There's people like me who like the self-checkout until it tells you to put the item that you already put there and it's right there and it won't listen to you. Uh, but, and then there, it's providing the choices is something as basic as online reservations. It, well, yeah, we have, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. I was just gonna say, we, I was talking to people yesterday. There's a lot, it seems like there is, I shouldn't, I'm not gonna make a blanket statement, but a lot of people that are younger that just, they don't want to pick up a phone and call people. They do, a lot of people have trouble with personal interactions now, and those people are starting to camp. We were talking to somebody about glamping yesterday, and that's one of the issues that they're running into. It's not your typical camper, it's a younger person, and they have an expectation that, that they normally do things without interacting with people. And they're getting out in, in the, out of the, the hubbub of town, and so they're expecting even less interaction with people. And so if they have to, they might, you, that might not be the experience that they're actually wanting. And it's interesting, Joe, that's what I was going to say is I think I said this earlier, your guest is going to mandate what you can do generally, generationally is going to also, depending what your demographic is, will help determine the answer to that question. And we're, most of us on this call are destination focused, probably leisure, heavy transient properties. We're not necessarily long-term seasonal live-in properties, right? Our deliverable in our property that's going to be in Southeast Georgia, which would probably be 70% annual and 30% transient is going to be very different than what we have. It'll be much more retirees and older age demographic. And what they want is very different to Joe's point of in our current transient heavy operations, they want technology, right? They want ease of access. They want convenience. But at the same time, our mission is to evolve the industry to the modern world. We want to help educate maybe the older demographic to be able to see what the value is in that regard. But I think it depends on somewhat your mix. That older demographic is definitely getting there. Some of our yep. most successful actually is luxury motor coach, which is almost all 55 plus. They're, they have a, they're not required to be 55 plus, but 
to get into that space, you pretty much are. And so that's, that's actually one of the most popular places for us right now is Lundgren Motor Coach. So here's an interesting question from my perspective, right? And that's when do you, as a park owner, whether you're large or small, or regardless of where you're located, how do you determine when to start adapting to some of these changes? And so I'll give you an example. There's a certain point in time where you look at, we've had conversations with certain companies who will remain nameless that voice search is going to be really popular in the future. And some people say they don't need to adopt it now. And I say that they do. And that's a difference of opinion. But how do you determine, like, I'm adapting for the people who will want this in a week, in two years, in 10 years? How do you decide to act on that? And one of the crazier examples that we're not going to certainly unpack in the next eight minutes and probably doesn't even worthy of its own conversation is NFTs. Nobody knows what these are yet. And for most part, 99% of them are scams, but there's all kinds of unique things that companies are going to be able to do with loyalty that will be revenue drivers for them for the next, you talk about concerts, concert tickets can be revenue drivers with NFTs for the next 40 years, both for the brand and the consumer who purchased that content through that concert ticket. And so everybody who's under 18 right now, everybody is being trained to use NFTs. So at what point do those 18 and under people become a demographic that you start adjusting to at your campground? Yeah, I agree. If you're not already adjusting to that, I think alone just campgrounds, if you're not already thinking about 10 years, 20 years down the graphic and that type of person is going to be and campers going to be here, you're behind. It's definitely why we're, I'm 42, Melissa's 38, a lot of the campgrounds though are starting to be the our generation coming in and so our campground found in our entertainment venue for that new upcoming 30 year old demographic that's really going to take over how they want to their camping experience i think it's already starting to turn that tide so get out ahead of that it may affect well, bottom line yeah, and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna play devil's advocate to my own question here right because again there's as we've been talking about this whole show you have to decide and you can't have everything so why not sometimes it makes <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't and so I, that's what i'm driving at i think if you look if you've heard of simon sinek and a lot of people have he refers to this thing called the law of diffusion of innovation and the law of diffusion of innovation talks about there's the first two and a half percent are innovators, the 13 and a half percent next to early adopters. And then there's a tipping point where then there's the early majority and the late majority, that's 68, 70% of the whole thing. And then the lacquers, right? So understanding at what point on that law of diffusion of innovation, a particular item falls and where you want to be, right? Like the innovators, the people who test the new iPhone and break it and don't care if it doesn't work because they want it be the first one to have it. Yeah. The early adopters are the one that buy the Pixel 7 sight unseen and because they want to have the next cool thing. And then the early majority, late majority, the ones that kind of will come after, after it's proven and tested. So I think to answer your question, I think it really depends on where you fall in the chart. And I can't well, believe I just questions that. there. One, is the Pixel 7 really out and how do I get one? <laughs> yeah. Early October and I want to be an early adopter, Mike. You got to hook me up. <laughs> but the second question is, yes, you're right. I'm familiar with this. Simon Sinek says that there's multiple other people say it, the kind of the type of person you are, but right. that's also a, I would argue in some ways, and I'm not advocating for campgrounds to adopt NFTs, but I would argue that if everybody under it, and to be clear, it's happening. Everybody under 18 is already familiar with NFTs and what they do and how they can be flexible. 
And that's much more than an innovation stage or an early adopter. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the thing you're talking about there, though, is you can't ask the campground owners to go necessarily and innovate how that's going to work. You're going to end up having someone that, that decides to start putting out a product that that was that way. And early adopters are going to look at it. They're going to prove it out a little bit. Then you might have the next group. And then finally, it actually comes into fruition. We don't, no one is talking about campground owners should be taking Bitcoin. There's probably somebody that's talking about it, but it's been around for 15 years now or for long it's been around. And people have been talking about that. Everyone's going to accept it, but it still hasn't happened. It still isn't to that point. So if they would have been the early adopters and decided 10 years ago that they're going to accept Bitcoin, all it's done is had a bunch of costs to them up front with no benefit yet so seen so far. And so I think Mike's biggest point that he, earlier point was your traffic, your guests, your customer, they're going to be the ones that dictate that. They're going to dictate what their needs are. They're going to yep. dictate if you need to adopt the newest technology or not. If you're a campground that no one that ever that, that owns a Tesla or any electric car is ever going to go to for whatever reason, then you're not going to need charging stations. You're going to end up at some point in time, you'll probably end up dying out. But if for whatever reason, no one would go there because of that, for some reason, you're, it doesn't make sense. It's not a business move for you to make. But is there a point and, where a campground is an innovator versus a listener? Is there a point where the campground says, if I do this, I will become a destination for these people, or I will create a market that didn't exist before. Nobody wanted There's to There's a doing it every day. They have this, to. Otherwise, we yeah, I think so. we're in Something else you need to consider is that sometimes there's a huge early adoption cost. LaserDisc yeah. is a great example of early adoption cost. LaserDisc, yeah. all your guides on it, all that can be a player. And then in four and a half years later, we have the DVD. It's half the size, it's twice the capacity, it does all that. And then now DVDs don't even exist anymore. So there is this early adopter cost for all these bells and whistles and super nice things that technology continues to accelerate through that you dump all this money into it and you don't even get an ROI out of it. And that's fair. That's what I'm prompting the discussion for. Again, I'm not advocating for anybody to do these things tomorrow. I'm just suggesting you should at least consider the, what's going to happen. And again, I, I would argue that there's like when I'm researching NFTs and I have a ton to learn about them, I'm not just Googling what are the benefits of NFTs. I'm Googling NFT scam. NFT sucks. NFT is terrible. NFT is not going to last. And I'm learning both sides of the argument, right? And then I'm deciding, is this something I want to pursue? I think EV is a perfect example. Mike actually just posted the same thing. I think EV is a perfect example of this, right? There are some parks that are certainly early adopters on this, but I would say the majority are waiting to see. It's still so unproven. What's the usage going to be? Stay off my lawn, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, these same parks that are waiting to see before installing 20 EV stations are also innovating in other areas and trying out different things. And I think it just depends on, on what the groundswell is and where the industry is headed and what kinds of ideas you can come up with and some things that are early adopters become into early, early majority or late majority. And to, to Duncan's point, Betamax was another example, right? Whatever, whatever happened to Betamax as an owner, you have to take into account investment costs, the assurance of risk of your innovation and balance what you think you are. And then what your answer is, is probably where you fall on that bell curve. Oh, are you an innovator, early adopter, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I think I'm more advocating for figure, like, like Mike posted in the chat, we just had up there, right? The EV charging stations, 
if you're not going to put them in now, that's fine. And you may never put them in like Joe said, but if you at least understand what they are, how much they cost, follow the pricing of them, then you're ready to do it if you decide to do it versus coming in it from the blank and having to start the whole research phase from scratch. Ah, and then you're figuring education and keeping a thumb on the pulse of what's going on. That's what you're advocating. Not necessarily NFT. Yeah, bro. I'm using NFTs as an example. Absolutely. I'm not even, no, we're nowhere near NFTs for Game Browns. Not even, we're probably 15, 20 years out at least. So, well, why don't you do it right now with Insider Ferks? With NFTs? I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. No, we are. I'm, why do you think I know about this stuff, Mike? I don't. Why well, you pay me? But yeah, it, it's just an interesting discussion the way times are changing and things like that. But yeah, I'm not advocating for any specific dunk and just talking about, like you said, keeping your thumb on the pulse and understanding where things are going, where they're heading. And that's what conversations like this help people do, I think. Yeah. So cool. Anybody else have anything to add before we're a couple minutes over? I think we had a really good discussion, but thanks again to our sponsor, Firefly Reservations. I really appreciate them being a part of our show today. Thank you, Duncan, for joining us as always. We'll see you again, hopefully next month. Joe from At My Community, uh, thank you uh, for joining us as well. And really appreciate you joining us, sharing your journey. Sorry, your audio was a little choppy. It's probably the platform's fault. We can just blame it on that. Always technology's fault somehow. And then, yeah, Mike, finger up. I was going to thank you. Yeah, too. I couldn't figure out how to put it in the public chat. And I just wanted to advocate for Mike Sorensen and Wild Energy. I didn't want anybody to think that I wasn't earlier. So I just want to make sure everybody knows he's a great partner and to look at that. So my apologies. I got a little passionate about my own personal preference. So we should have Mike on sometime. Mike, you can email Bakari. Yeah, on just metering or not metering and what kind of sites you meter and what's the purpose of it. And it also then involves state level and what they allow you to do versus what other states allow you. It's, it, you can do an hour show on that. There we go. There's the show idea. So next month, and we got one of our, one of my writers is watching this to put together the summary for the podcast. So tell Akari that next month we need to get Mike Sorensen, who's watching the show on the month and a couple other people, right? Who are who, from metering companies or who can discuss this or maybe implemented at their park. And we'll have that discussion next month on the show. Sounds like a good one. Good suggestion, Duncan. All right, guys, we got to go today. Anybody else? Uh, thank you, Mike, again, for interrupting me, but I'll thank you too for joining us again. As always, your wisdom is greatly appreciated. All your different various areas of expertise. Thank you guys for watching. And next week, we're RV Industry Outdoor Rec Focus Show. So we will see you then. Take care, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, man. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.